Okay, everyone. Um, I'd like to welcome myself back to the microphone over here. Thank you for joining. So I was out for a little bit, did some traveling. Um, and now I'm back. So let's do some, hopefully a good class. Anybody that wants to sponsor this share can let me know or can, can um, take possession of the merit by following the link at myon.com. Go to donate and you can sponsor a class. So this class is available for sponsorship and uh, so are all of our classes. So feel free to do so um, because it's very helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again to all those who do that. All right, so tonight we have a today we have an interesting, very special class on the parsha. Um, this series of classes is parsha in my life. So here there is something I, I believe very relevant, which I came across, which I think is very speaks should speak very much to all of us today. Um, so what's new? What's new is that Jews are in the news. <laughs> now, that's not really news because that's been going on forever. The Jewish people have always been in the news and have always been on the front cover of the newspapers, but particularly recently, it almost feels like everything is evolving around, like all the major stories. It's all about, there's a lot of talk about anti-Semitism and, and uh, this and that and, and the people that have been vocally saying things and and all that stuff going on and are making lots of of my brethren of fellow jews uncomfortable some people have a little bit of the jitters like it's safe for people to stay in the diaspora because of so much uh, that has been going on um so i'd like to calm everybody in today's class and uh, make sure that no one panics and everybody remains nice and calm because we have a very interesting teaching in this week's parsha that should give us i believe a lot of comfort and a lot of security and sense of we're living in very special times and uh we don't have to become what we call nispal nispal means to become overworked by every time you glance in the news and this one says or that one says that that should cause uh, jewish history has been fraught with difficulties challenges and a lot of bloodshed and therefore it makes sense that people get nervous some people even ask me the question you know is it time to go to israel is it time to make aliyah uh, going to israel is a good thing it's a mitzvah, it's a good thing, um, and those who can do it, and for whatever reason, you know, it's a, it's a great thing to do. But to go because of one is nervous or afraid or, or scared because of certain attitudes and things that are happening, that I think is uncalled for. And not and again, I can, I'm not a, uh, a Rebbe, so I can't be speaking through the lens of divine, you know, communication. I'm also not a halachic authority, so you can speak to your local halachic rabbi. 
I'm speaking just out of the sense that I have from what I've studied and what I've learned and my sense of where we stand right now. We are standing at a very, very powerful time for the Jewish people. Very powerful time. And um, as we are at the transitioning moments of exile to redemption. And at this state, we have an extra, extra, extra divine assistance, a protection, and an enormous, enormous divine presence hovering, hovering over us, which would give us all an, an incredible tranquility and sense of peacefulness. And not be phased by some noisemakers, people who have absolutely no, no strength and no power and are meaningless. Utterly meaningless, even if they have big, large followings and huge Twitter accounts with, uh, you know, millions of followers. Nothing to fear and nothing to be afraid and nothing to be shaken. And, and it's actually, the lesson is from this week's Torah portion. All the way in the end of the Torah. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Vayetze. So on the end of the Torah portion, we have the story, the whole the story of Parsha's Vayetze is really the Jew in exile. That's the story, because Yaakov, our third of our patriarchs, were named after him, were called Israel, as a people were called Israel, named after Yisrael, named after Yaakov. So in this Torah portion, we read Yaakov's time that he spent in exile. He, he left his home, he left Israel, he ran out of fear, his brother wanted to kill him, and he escaped. And uh, he went to his uncle, and it was, it was a foreign land, and it was a hostile land, full of dangers lurking in every corner. And he uh, navigated it and came out sound and safe, although, you know, he was um, faced with enormous challenge with uh, a living under his, his father, a, a, a uh, notorious thief and, and um, scam and scam artist. And yet, um, Yaakov came out. Not only didn't did he didn't he you know wasn't he crushed or or broken or misled or cheated, but he actually outdid his uncle and his and he and he came out on top and he triumphed and he built a huge family and he also came out with enormous success and wealth. And that is really the story of Israel, the story of the Jewish people. The Jewish people have been scattered amongst the exiles. All cards are stacked against us, and yet the Jews always come out on top. Why? Because the Jews are God's people in this world, and they're here to illuminate the world with a godly light, and they're testimonials to God's existence. They're witnesses to God's existence, and therefore uh, they are super strong. Not with their own might, not with our own might, but with the might of Hashem, with the power of God, and with God's protection. So this is the story of this week's parasha, um, how Yaakov, uh, our Jacob, our forefather, um, manages at the end to come out so successful. So he comes alone, running away, and is in the most hostile of environments, comes out with four wives, 12 sons, actually at this point, 11 sons. When he comes back, the 12th is born later in the land of Israel, ben Benjamin, Benjamin. And an enormous wealth. He comes a pauper without a penny, comes out enormously wealthy. On the end of the Torah portion, right before Yaakov leaves, um, so that that very last stage would be very much 
um, corresponding to us right now, because the last few Torah verses in Pashas Vayetze are talking about when Yaakov is on his return journey back to the land of Israel. So the 20 years that Jacob, that Yaakov spent in Mesopotamia, in outside of the land of Israel, was corresponds, because we know that whatever happened to our fathers in a nutshell is a little seed for what was going to happen in, 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 a, in a, that was the micro, which was going to happen in the macro. So what happened in 20 years is really the story of Israel for 2,000 years. We are now nearing a the completion of a 2,000-year exile. We're about 1950 years already, a little over that. I think 1952 and 1953, I didn't do the count right now. Something like that, that we've been in exile already. But we've already been received the prophecy of the redemption. We've already been told that we're coming out, we're leaving, the exile is over. And uh, but yet it's been pretty shaky. It's been shaky. It's been it's been it's been pretty rough. And, uh, and but we know it's true. We know the exile is is disappearing, and the and the redemption good day, good days are coming. And we hope and we pray for it to come smoothly and easily and fast and let it happen easy. I mean, nothing goes easy, but whatever needed to be tough, we've had already. Now we're ready and ready for the good days. But what's, what's special is that we can derive from the very last moments of Yaakov and what happened to him at the very last moments before he returned to the land of Israel or as he was returning. And that can serve as a lesson to where we stand right now and in terms of the security that we have. Even when we are making some people get, ner uh, get uncomfortable. Because we see that. We see that there are a lot of people that are uncomfortable with the Jewish people. I don't want to get into the stories. You can read the news. You can see that there have been many things that have been said, and uh, a lot has been put out there. And uh, as, as mentioned, uh, this, this is very much reflecting what happened to Jacob. Now, one of the things that are being said is that the Jewish people run the whole country, and they run the world. Even today, it, it has been said. That there are 300 Jews who run the entire country. 300 Zionists who control the whole world. That was actually uh, tweeted or said today, not tweeted, I don't know, by uh, someone who was deciding to make some noise. And um, so it's interesting, in the end of the parsha, we find that Yaakov gets uncomfortable because he hears the sons of Lavan that's the host, his uncle Lavan. So it's his uh, his brother-in-laws, really, <laughs> who are not happy. And they're saying that Yaakov became wealthy from our father's wealth. He's controlling the money. He's control literally, this is what's going on in the parsha. He that Yaakov Jacob is the one who from, from our wealth, this is all he, it's, it's our riches. He misled it. He, he you know became successful off our backs and so on and so forth. So it's really, really, you can see. And that happens like minutes before. After Yaakov finished, after Jacob finished already his entire work in the exile. In the last moments, that's when he is overhearing these people grumbling. And that seems to be exactly what's happening now. Uh, the Jewish people are not meant, God forbid, to steal anything or take anything that's not just and so on and so forth. 
Um, we know that we have to, we have a job of elevating the sparks of holiness, which means revealing God in the world. And the, we can understand it spiritually, the idea that people sense that we've robbed the world from taking something away from the world. Yes, we have. The Jewish people have taken away the ability to be disconnected from God. To live a godless existence, that is not going to work anymore. The Jewish people have led the world, world to an intrinsic connection to Hashem. And those that are comfortable with that have enormous respect and admiration for the Jewish people. Those who are, are, are excited and, and um, looking forward to live in a, godly, in a godly conscious world, a world filled with bliss and deep and, and unity and oneness, a world that is completely attached to its infinite source. Those who, who are satisfied to be included in the unity, those feel tremendous gratitude to Israel and the Jewish people because it was particularly the job of the Jewish people as a result of our exile, which costed us enormous amount of blood and tears. It was an, an in, incomprehensible sacrifice that it took in order to elevate all corners of the earth through the mitzvah and, this, and, and the good deeds and the actions and the Torah study to take a fragmented world and piece by piece included in the oneness. Subconsciously, now again, you might argue and say the world doesn't feel to be such a unified place. There's so much, there's so much strife, there's so much animosity, there's so much fragmentation, there's so much um, um, discord taking place. People are so much fighting going on across the entire world. Um, that's very superficial very superficial um the world the true world that's brewing underneath is a perfect beautiful godly existence and if people are not aware of it consciously then they're subconsciously they know that the ability to be to live in a state of separation disconnect in a, in a world of duality in a world of pluralism that is not unified in the unity of god is actually fading away it's disappearing and for that they ought to blame the jews and people that are rooted in holiness are enormously excited about israel and the jewish people and those that are for whatever reason choosing to still hold on to the to the unholy and to darkness have a lot to be are, are feeling uncomfortable that we've taken something away but what have we taken away we've taken away illness death because these are all things in poverty, because these are all things that are derivative of separation from God. And the Jewish people have already managed to unify the creation and the world. So really, if we've robbed the world of anything, we've robbed the world of its darkness, of the of 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 the of the sinfulness, of the detachment, of separation, and, and all that negative stuff. Um so, but we see that Lavan's children are feeling, for some reason, feeling very immensely the power of Yaakov, the power of the Jewish people. So it's really, it's really astonishing if you think about it. It's literally astonishing because the Jewish people are less than one percent in the world. Less than one percent. You know, one of these people that have been very vocally 
and um, you know, making very vile statements against the Jewish people recently. This individual, I don't want to say he's even his name, this individual has more followers on Twitter than Jewish people in the entire world. <laughs> Crazy. He's got more on Twitter, uh, on, on followers in general. I think they've kicked him off Twitter. But he's more followers than all of, all of the Jewish people. And the Jewish people are, are, for some reason, in the news all day long. It's what this one said about, what this one said, this is anti-Semitic, this is not anti-Semitic, this is this. He is an anti-Semite, he's not an anti That's the discussion. It's crazy. Let alone, isn't there anything else to be busy with? No, this is the conversation. It's astounding. But as I mentioned earlier, a lot of people are afraid. So now let's take a look and, and find something very comforting at the end of the Torah portion. So as Yaakov is leaving, so he makes he makes a run for it because his uncle Lavan knows that the blessing that he is receiving when Yaakov came to Lavan's house, Yaakov, yes, Jacob became very wealthy, but he also brought enormous success and wealth to to his father-in-law. So it wasn't that Lavan was not wealthy. And it wasn't that Lavan did not have love on his father in law had a tremendous blessing. It wasn't that Yaakov ran away a millionaire and a, a, a millionaire and, and Lavan ended up being poor. That's not what happened. Lavan himself and his family was enormously enriched since Yaakov came. Not only that, the entire Mesopotamia, the entire city was blessed. So they and that was the reason they didn't want to let Yaakov leave. And that's true about the Jewish people. Wherever the Jewish people go, they bring blessing, economic gain and wealth to that particular country and that particular, because they bring the divine blessing with them. So, um, for that reason, Lavan would not have been excited about Yaakov leaving. So Yaakov had to make a midnight escape. He ran away with his wife, his children, and his four, and his entire uh, entourage. They left. Lavan gave chase, and God comes to Lavan in a dream at night, and He warns him, "May you, you know, be careful. Do not speak to Jacob. Do not speak to Yaakov, from good to bad. Don't you dare even think of harming him." And Lavan then realizes that. And the next morning, they finally meet up. They have a little bit of a argument a debate and um but it's all peaceful lovin does a search he accuses yakov for stealing something of his they search doesn't find that's the end and then they say goodbye lovin kisses his family his children his, his his daughters who are married to yakov and then his grandchildren they make a uh, certain treaty that they're they're going to be at peace with each other they're not going to harm each other they put up a monument and then Yaakov continues back on his journey to the land of Israel. That's the conclusion of the Torah portion. So right before the end of the parsha, it says like this. Yaakov goes on his way. This is in chapter 32 in Bereshis Genesis 32, verse number 2. Yaakov goes to his way. And he encounters angels of God. That's what we're going to focus today on, these angels. 
So Yaakov suddenly has an encounter with a whole group of angels. When Yaakov sees these angels, he gets excited and he says, This is a godly encampment. A, a, a group of, 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 it's a divine, it's a, it's a group of divine beings. He's excited. He feels that. He calls that place camps because over there he met. Now, why is he calling it camps? Because there were two, he suddenly saw two camps of angels. Why are there two camps of angels? So Rashi explains, and this is stated in the Midrash as well, that which, who are these uh, angels that he meets? So it's like, you know, there's only a few places in the Torah where you have an explicit interaction between humans and, and angelic beings. Um, in, in, uh, by Avram, we had that, that, that encounter. Uh, where Avram has the three guests who come to, but there it doesn't say explicitly that they were angels. It's a, but later we see that they were angels because they go on to Lot, and over there it says that the the angels arrived at night. When they come to, when they come to Avram, they're camouflaged as people. By Lot, they were also dressed like people, but they're called angels. So we know they were angels. But here it says explicitly that these are malachim. The next in the next Torah portion, he actually uses the these angels. And he uses them as emissaries of his, and he sends them to his brother Esau. Okay, now, um, so he meets these, this 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 group of angels. So Rashi says, "Who are these angels?" So Rashi says, that, "Why is he encountering them right now?" So Rashi says, "These are the angels from Eretz Yisrael, from the land of Israel." They came towards him. To accompany him to the land of Israel. So while he's at this place over here, he's encountering a whole group of angels. So Rashi says, Rashi is a great commentary on the Chumash. These are angels from the land of Israel. We know that every country has an angel above that represents that country. And when we say it has an angel, it means there's one super angel, which under it is a whole a whole um, camp of angels that 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 manage the affairs of of every single country. Obviously, God is the one managing the affairs of everything, but He is channeling His blessings and everything to each particular nation through a through spiritual angels. So all the blessings are delivered first to the angelic beings above, and via them and through them it manifests down here in the world. So each country has its own angels above. And the land of Israel also has special angels. So the Israeli delegation, this is what happened, an Israeli delegation, a delegation of angels on the land of Israel came to greet him. Now this concept we actually learned in the beginning of the parsha as well. Because we're all familiar then when Yaakov 20 years earlier is making his way and running away from his from his brother and making his way to the land of Haran. He goes to sleep that night, unbeknown to him on the Temple Mount. And over there, he has a dream. And in the dream, he sees a ladder. And on the ladder, he sees angels going up and down. That's the, but there it, was, there it wasn't a physical encounter with angels. It was in a dream is where he sees the angels. 
And I'll point you out something really cool from the Zohar, which I just read recent, just before, about an hour ago, which is really cool, where the Zohar says, what, what's the difference? Why earlier did Yaakov, we'll see later another explanation, but why did Yaakov the first time only see the angels in a dream? And now he actually has a living, live encounter with the angels. So the Zohar says, because the perfect human is when a person is married. And at that time, Yaakov was, a, was still single. He wasn't married. So he was like a half a human. So he hasn't attained the, the level of where he really needed to be. So at the best, he was able to see the angels at night. He was a very, very accomplished person. He already studied in the city, in the, in the yeshiva of Shem and Aver, 14 years. And he spent 60 years, his first 60 years of his life studying by his father. He was an enormous genius and student and scholar and pious and holy person. Yet, he wasn't married. So he got to see angels only in his sleep. But now he was married and he also had children. He was worthy. That's how important family is and marriage is. He was a complete human being. Now he was able to see the, the angels came and visited him physically in a way that he can uh, interact with them in a very real live interaction. So over there, when it says angels were going up and angels were coming down, Rashi points out, it's not the same angels running up and down the ladder. There are different angels. There are angels that are going up and there are angels that are coming down. The angels that are going up were the angels of the land of Israel. They were ascending. Why were they ascending? Because Yaakov was leaving the land of Israel and he was now on his way out to what's called Chutzli Aretz, outside of the land of Israel. So these angels, Rashi says, they do not go out from the land of Israel. The angels of Israel are, in a sense, holier angels. And because of their higher level of sanctity and holiness, they are not permitted to go outside of the boundaries of the land of Israel. So when they climb up to the sky, in the heavens above, they also remain in the heavens that are above the land of Israel. We know that the heavens correspond to here, just like we find, for example, the sages say there is the Jerusalem of below and there's the Jerusalem of above. And that the holy temple above, there is a spiritual temple which stands in an exact um um, aligned and in a, in a, a, a right above the physical temple and the physical Jerusalem down here. So those angels remain in the heavens above Israel. So you have to say there's some aspect of space over there as well, even though we're dealing with a higher levels of existence, but still the space above the land of Israel, that's where these angels are. And when they, when they come down here into this world, like they did, they were accompanying Yaakov. Now, he didn't see these angels, see, initially. He was walking alone on the road, but he wasn't alone. There's a verse in Psalms that says, God's, Hashem, King David says, his angels, God commands on your behalf, for each and every one of us, God's commands angels, Lishmarcha, to protect you, to protect us, wherever we go. There is angels from a that is always with us. So we're not really alone. But Yaakov didn't know that. In his dream, he found out that he had angels with him. But when he was still in the land of Israel, he was accompanied by in 
a Israeli security force. The angels were there to protect him. They were his security entourage. A, uh, what do they call them? A security? They have a special name for it. Um, but it, so what happened in the dream? They were leaving. They were going on an elevator, or they were going up the ladder, because he was now leaving their territory and going into the land of Chutzliarets, going outside of Israel. So he needed a new security security uh, group, and they came down. The angels of Chutzliarets, and this time, I mean, they must have been like Babylonian angels or whatever he was going, Mesopotamian angels. And they were the ones who now took over the security charge over Yaakov and protected him all along the 20 years that he was there. He had angels with him all along. Now when he was going back, it came time again for the change of the guards. That's why he meets this whole new group of angels that now came to greet him and escort him back to the land. And that's why he has now two camps. And we said he called the place camps because both angels were there, both groups were there at the same time. Now it's interesting because in the dream that he had, it says one group went up and then the other group came down, which means they weren't standing together. It was either one or the other, they weren't together. And actually the group going up, first the Israeli, the Israel delegation of angels ascended up to heaven. And only after that, the the group from Chutzliaritz came down to protect him. And over here we see it's different. It says he had both camps standing together. We'll see seeing that not only were they standing together, they actually were accompanying him both together. So the Gur Aryeh, who is the Maral of Prague, asks the question. And other, other commentators ask the question. And they answer, why? What's the difference? How come over here? The angels went up first and then came down the other group. And over here, they were both together down here below. So there's various answers, but one of the answers, the Gur Ari, the Maral says, he says, over there, God was standing over him as well. Vihine Hashem of Olaf, God was standing over him. Since God himself was protecting him, standing, meaning God is always protecting us, but God was visibly protecting him. He saw it in the dream that Hashem was stand, hovering right over him. So he was protected anyways at that moment. So the angels, the Israeli delegation was able to leave because he wasn't abandoned for that, for those couple of moments until the next del delegation would come down. He wasn't left unprotected because Hashem was watching him. The new angels came even after the vision of God watching him. However, in our case, where it doesn't say that God was standing over him right now, when on the way back, he didn't have that dream where Hashem was standing over him. So therefore, um, the, 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 um, the uh, diaspora angels, the angels from the outside of the land of Israel, were not able to leave him until the other ones came. So he shouldn't be even for one moment unprotected. That's pretty neat explanation but in any case the question we have today is as follows we just stated the rule the rashi states it very clearly that is the holy angels of the land of israel may not 
depart the land of Israel. They're not allowed to leave because they because they are the land of Israel is a holier country, and therefore they have to stay within the borders of the land of Israel. And it was for that reason that they actually left while he was still in Israel. Where was Yaakov when the angels ascended in heaven? He he was he was on Mount Moriah. So he wasn't yet even at the border of the land, but still they left him because he was going to leave. He was a setting foot now to leave, to go to Haran, so they left. Because he was not allowed to, they're not allowed to leave the land. So they, they now it doesn't say anywhere that the Chutzli are its angels. The angels that are from outside of Israel doesn't say they're not allowed to enter Israel. Actually, it implies that they are allowed to because they came to pick him up while he was down, still on Mount Maria, while he was still in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, they they uh, they came to guard him already from there. Now the morale again, very very fascinating morale in the book of Gur Aryeh. So he he actually asks, why didn't the new angels come to him at the border when he left uh, twenty years earlier when he was leaving on initially on his mission? Why didn't the new angels come to him on the border? Why did they leave? Why did they come to him already when he was still on Mount Maria? So the morale explains that since Jerusalem is the holiest place in the land of Israel, the very fact that he was going to leave Yerushalayim, leave the Temple Mount and start and start his way down, he's already stepping out of the Holy of Holies. So it's as if he's already going to outside of Israel. In other words, technically, he's still, he's still in Eretz Yisrael, but since he's beginning already the sliding slope, he's beginning to leave holiness and go farther and farther. So immediately when he starts his descent from the Temple Mount, from the Holy of Holies, he's already, the, 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 the angels of Israel already said goodbye to him, and he has these new angels who are going to come, and they're going to escort him and protect him, when he's outside of the land of Israel. Fine. The question we have today, based on this idea that angels of Eretz Yisrael, of the land of Israel, may not set foot outside of Eretz Yisrael, like Rashi says explicitly, if that's the case, what are we going to do over here in the end of the parsha when it says clearly that Yaakov encounters the angels? And Yaakov at this point is still quite a distance away from the land of Israel. Because next week's Torah portion, we're going to see he's preparing for his encounter with Esau after this story. And he crosses a Mavar Yabok. A Mavar Yabok, that's a certain river. And then he remember then he remained alone and the, and the angel of Esau comes and he fights with, he wrestles with an angel. And, and as Nachmanides points out, Nachmanides talks about this, the Ramban, he says this is way, this is even that river where Yaakov crossed is still quite a distance away from Israel. It's only when he's going to come towards Shechem is when he's coming back into further in the parsha. Took a while till he gets there. He's still miles and miles away from Israel. If that's the case, this is this is not sanct this is not sanctified territory. How are the angels allowed from Eretz Yisrael allowed to come out to greet him? And really, Nachmanides is already touching on that question. That's why Nachmanides argues on Rashi. He doesn't agree that this was the Israeli security group. 
Nachmanari says, um, these were angels that came now because he was going to deal with Esav. He was going to have some, some really tough encounters. God sent them an extra battalion of angels to come watch him. But they had nothing to do. They're not the, they're not the angels of Israel. Because Nachmanari says, he's still very far from Israel. How could the angels, why would, they? he doesn't ask Satan explicitly in these words, how can the angels come out? But he doesn't belong yet under the due restriction of the, and the watch and the security uh, guard of the Israeli security. Everybody knows when you come into Ben Gurion airport, it's a whole different level of security. The Israeli securities, they're very, very shrewd guys. You know, they, they're, they're super. For some reason, when you go through security in Israel, you know it's a secure flight. You can see that they're very intelligent. They really know what's going on. It's not like over here, the TSA uh, doesn't necessarily always come across as very, very um, that, that, that they know what, what they're doing. But over here, you can really see. So Yaakov, uh, so he's, he's far from the land of Israel. Why would he have, and how would they be permitted? That's the question. How would it be permitted? So Maral, go back to the Maral. Maral is a 16th century great, great scholar. Was also a great philosopher and Kabbalist and super huge rabbi from the city of Prague. Anyways, the Maral, and he a, has a commentary on Rashi. So he defends Rashi from Nachmanides, from Ramban's attack, a question. And he says, yeah, they were, the, they were angels from the land of Israel. Now, even though the angels from the land of Israel may not go out, as we said earlier, but over here, they needed to go out. They were permitted to go out. Why were they permitted to go out? Because since Yaakov was now journeying toward the land of Israel, so his whole journey, its destination was the return to the land of Israel. It is for that reason that he is now needs the protection, the security group of Israel. Now, so in order for him to make it safely into the land of Israel, it seems like coming to the land of Israel has its own set of challenges. So you need special Israeli delegation that can help, that can provide him with the protection necessary to make it to the land of Israel. So even though technically he's still outside of the land of Israel, but he needs a special protection. So according to that, it would be as follows. He's now for the regular protection that he needs on the road. Every human being always needs protection. If you're on the road, you need protection. Travel in, in general is dangerous. So uh, going on the freeway over here on the 405 freeway, on the 5 freeway, on the wherever you're going, on the 101, wherever you're traveling over here, or any freeway, or you're getting on a plane or whatever it is, it's considered a little bit of a security risk. Safer at home usually. So you have protection. So the regular protection for Yaakov being on the road, not related to him traveling to the land of Israel, that was provided by the angels of the diaspora, the 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 the, the, the external the angels that belong outside of Israel. They still provided security for him. 
But in as much as he was traveling to the land of Israel, so to give him safe passage to the land of Israel and to prevent all obstacles that can happen, for that he had a special Israeli, if you might say, entourage that were that were watching him. Israel angels came to watch him. That's my Raul's answer. The Lubavitcher Rebbe takes issue with the morale. And he says that doesn't make too much sense. Because if he's being protected already, if they're guarding him, they're guarding him. So he's being guarded. Uh, whatever guarding needs to be done, he's being guarded. And if he's being guarded, you know, it's not like you can say like it's more dangerous when you're going to Israel. So what? But they're angels, so they can protect. Once they're providing already the security, why would you need the extra security of the of the of the of the angels of from the land of Israel? He doesn't seem to 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 accept that. Doesn't seem that that would be necessary. So therefore, he says the only reason the angels came out to be with him was not for protection because protection he had already anyways the other angels were still with him and they and they continued with him until he got to the border of the land of israel they were with him so he didn't need for protection the only reason he needed these he received these angels they were an honor god guard they just came out for to, to honor him to, out of respect for honor that he's that he's being that he's being accompanied by angels. The, the angels of Israel came out to give him honor, to welcome him in. It was an honor delegation. It had nothing to do with protection, because protection he had already from the others. But the, based on that, the Rebbe asks the question: If it was only an honor guard, or an honor, a delegation of honor for Jacob's honor, for Yaakov's honor they would be in violation of going out of the land of Israel. If they're not allowed to go out of the land of Israel, why would they be given permission to go out, even if it's for the honor of Yaakov, it's important, but you're still not allowed to leave the land of Israel. So if, if you can say it's a necessity, it's a must, he can't travel without them, okay. Even then you would have to get a heter, as you say, you have to get a, 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 a an exemption. But if especially if it's just for an honor, what would give them permission to leave the land of Israel? The answer he gives is on a simple level. So we're going to go deeper, but on a simple level, it's just very simple. That When you are, when the angels, it's true, the angels of Israel may not leave the land of Israel. They may not go out of the land of Israel. However, their exiting of the land to go greet Yaakov is not even considered going out of the land of Israel. Simple reason is because since their going out was for the specific purpose to escort him in, they were serving as an escort to escort him, not because of necessity, just out of honor, but since the point was to escort him into the land, it's not considered going out because the going out for the sake of coming in is not considered going. 
Earlier, they were not allowed to leave because at that point, Yaakov was, his destination was away from the land of Israel. His destination was to go and find a wife, first of all, to get away from his brother, and secondly, to go and find a wife and build up a fortune and have a family and so on and so forth, which had no specific amount of time. I mean, we know in the end it was 20 years. Could have been more, could have been less, but it was, it was his destination was to be outside. So since its destination was to be outside, the angels may not go out because then they would be going out. But this is not considered going out because going out in order to bring him in is not considered going out. And he finds an equivalent of that in halacha regarding literal law regarding leaving the land of Israel. In other words, we are now going to compare angels leaving the land of Israel to humans leaving the land of Israel. There is a Torah prohibition for a Jew who is living in the land of Israel that he may not leave the land of Eretz Yisrael. It's not so simple if you're in Israel to leave Israel. One of the reasons people asked the Lubavitcher Rebbe all the time why he did not travel to the land of Israel. And the Rebbe had his reasons. I'm sure most of them or the deeper reasons we don't even know. But one of the things the Rebbe did say more than once is that it's a shaila, it's a question, if I go, if I'm allowed to leave. It's not so simple to leave now. His father-in-law, the Rebbe doesn't have any questions on his, his father-in-law went to visit Israel, the only one of the Chabad Rebbe's who went to Israel, and he did leave. But the Rebbe held it's a halachic question if you're allowed to leave Israel. That's even for someone who's not, is not a resident there. Someone who's a resident in the land of Israel so Rambam says you may not leave. Now again, I'm not here to give you a psak halacha, which means I'm not here as a rabbi telling you a law. So if you're listening to this from the land of Israel, don't say, oh my gosh, I can never leave because I heard in a class that you can't leave. Speak to your rabbi your, where you ask all your halacha questions and find out under which circumstances you're allowed to leave. But Simply on a simple level, if someone is living in Israel, they want to just go vacation in a different country, it's a, it's a little bit of a problem. It's not so simple. Rambam says the only reason a person may leave the Holy Land of Israel is for three things. One is if they need to study Torah. Let's say Israel, for whatever reason, has become, God forbid, is very secular, no one is teaching Torah, and the yeshiva centers that there are are only outside of the land of Israel. Like at certain times, Babylonia was the big, big center. Even when Jews were still living in Israel, Babylonia had the big, big, big Torah centers. So, so if someone is leaving because they want to study Torah and they don't find an appropriate yeshiva or appropriate uh, um, 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 a teacher, they are, they're allowed to leave indefinitely, even for a long period of time um to study torah i think there's a provision that then obviously the, the final thing is that they will return with a stipulation that they have to return now not, not a permanent move but to be for whatever duration of time that they're going to study that's one reason second reason you're allowed to get married is if you can't find a shidduch a suitable match to get married and it's a mitzvah to get married and let's say there's no one you've spoken to every shachan in israel and you've met already, you've gone on every date and met every single girl or every single guy, and there's no one appropriate. 
So you're going out to meet the girls or boys in a different country so you can get married. So that would be allowed. And the third reason is if you have to go for, you have, let's say, property, business outside of the land of Israel, and it's being threatened by people who are threatening to take it away, um, to steal it from you, and you need to go fight for your possessions, so then you would be allowed to go. In other words, for a significant financial loss, the person may go to do whatever he needs to do in order to set up uh, his defense or whatever it is and to secure his property. So those are the three reasons. Other than this, Maimonides says, we may never leave the land of Israel. This is Allah in Rambam. So the question is asked, hold it. The Talmud tells a story. Tractate Masechtas Kedushin Daflamid Aleph. The Talmud relates a story like this. There was a sage, Rav Asi. He lived, he lived in, uh, in Babylonia, in Babel. He had a mother, and she was getting pretty old, and she was getting dementia. So she told him, please get me jewelry. Make me jewelry. So he made her jewelry. He bought jewelry, made her jewelry. He had jewelry made for his mom. Then she said, I need a guy also. Get me a guy. Meaning she was, her husband passed away already. She was single again. She was a widow. And she said, I want. So he says, I'm going to find you someone. I'm going to look around, find you a, a suitable match. She said, no, I want someone as handsome as you. <laughs> then he realized that uh, whatever he's going to provide for her, she's going to make him crazy. And he can't fulfill what uh, what 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 she wants of him so he left her and he went up to israel the the commentaries express what the talmud says the talmud commentaries say that when a person has parents and when their parents are getting dementia and therefore are impossible to to like to respect their wishes and, you, and you're worried that if you're with them and you don't listen to them, then you're in violation of the commandment. You're allowed to leave your parents as long as you set up somebody and a caretaker to take care of them. So you don't abandon them. But if you set up a caretaker to take care of them, you're allowed to go away because if you're close to them, you can be in violation of not respecting them, but they can be impossible, which is a sad story. This is what happened with him. So he, 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 he provided, made sure he has a caretaker or whatever, and he left because he couldn't be next to her. And where did he go? He went up to Israel. When he got to Israel and he was there for a while, he hears his mom is coming after him. She's also making Aliyah. So the Talmud says he went to ask Rabbi Yochanan if he's allowed to go out to greet her. And as he wanted to, his mother was coming. Okay, now he had problems with his mother, but she's his mom. So now, out of honor of his mother, he wanted to go as an escort to bring her in. Rabbi Yochanan um, said, I don't know. I don't know if it's permitted. So he waited a few days and he went back to Rabbi Yochanan and he asked him again. And Rabbi Yochanan kind of said, if I see you really want to go, he gave him a blessing, it's a, whatever it is. From the story you see, an actual story of one of the sages, and that he, oh, I'm sorry. He left, he went out to greet his mother, but on the way, after he already left the borders of the land of Israel, news came to him that his mother died on the way. Then he regretted going out because going out of Israel again is considered a little bit like a sin. And 
and to go out to greet her coffin was not considered necessary. He could have met it when she was already in Israel. So he regretted, he was upset, but whatever it is, that's the story. But again, had she not died, it would have been, it would have, you see from the story that it was okay for him to leave the land of Israel to go greet her. So the question is, if there are other cases where you're going out, let's say to greet a parent that's coming, and if that's permitted, how come Maimonides doesn't mention that? Maimonides says you're not allowed to go out only for these three things. So the Rebbe suggests, the Lubavitcher Rebbe suggests to resolve the, the problem in the Rambam. Is Rambam, is, when the Rambam says you're only allowed to go out for three things, the Rambam is talking about when you're actually leaving. When you're leaving the land of Israel for the purpose of doing something outside of Israel. If that's the case, you, there's no other exemption except for the three things we mentioned above. Financial, to, to save some property, to, to study Torah, to get married. But in the case of Rabbi Asi, who's going to greet his mother, it's not even considered going out. Because he's going out to escort someone in. That's not called going out. So on the same would apply to the angels who were similarly if if we will say it's a similar kind of a a situation with angels who are also not allowed to leave was they're also bound by the same halachic kind of criteria or similar to it even though the torah doesn't apply to heaven but whatever you know certain regu regulations are similar so it would be the same thing this that we said that angels are not allowed to go out that would mean to go out for the sake of going out but yaakov was coming back so these angels even though they're just going as an honor just like Reb ami Reb asi i'm sorry went to just escort his mother for honor it was okay because it's not called leaving so for that and that would be the reason why these angels were allowed to go out outside of Eretz Yisrael, even to quite a distance, Yaakov was miles away, and they were allowed to come now and pick him up because they were coming to pick him up and greet him and bring him back to the land of Eretz Yisrael. So that would be, that would be the explanation more according to halacha, meaning in the realm of pshat on the simple level. But now let's delve a little deeper, more in the esoteric not esoteric but more in the on the more uh, spiritual side of things what was the reason why the angels over here were allowed to go out of the land of israel and from here we will derive a lesson very 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 important lesson about the status of us the jewish people at the moments we are right now similar to jacob when he was coming back from the land and the special honor guard that we receive right now and as a result of that as i mentioned in the beginning we can have such a sense of tranquility and peacefulness without any sense, God forbid, of having to run or get out of here or something like that because we're uncomfortable because anti-Semitism is rearing its head. It's all, it's all unnecessary because when we appreciate what's, what's happening beneath the, the, uh, the outer, outer, outer crust, we recognize a little deeper we recognize now this is awesome time it's an incredible time and we have um a very 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 secure and high 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 level of divine protection and divine 
um, accompaniment right now like we've never had in the entire, in all of our history, because we're done with the work as we'll see in a moment. So what is the deeper reason why the angels were coming out? So the answer is really phenomenal. And that is as follows. Why do we go out? Why, why are Jews spent spending most of their history outside of the land of Israel? Shouldn't we as a people, if you, take, if you think about it, we received the Torah at Mount Sinai. We came into the land of Israel 40 years later. We were in the land of Israel for about 800 years. And then we were, went to exile for a 70-year period, came back to Israel for another 420 years. So the total amount of time we were in the land of Israel was for about 1,200 years, between 1,200 to 1,300 years. That's it. That was the entire time in Israel. And then other than that, we were in exile. So as a history, as a people, the majority of our, almost two-thirds of our history, we were in exile. Now, if Israel is a Jewish land and Jews are meant to serve God in the land of Israel, I mean, superficially, one can say, because we were bad children. We misbehaved. We were punished. And God tells us in the Torah, if you misbehave, I'll kick you out of the house. But that's a very, a very superficial answer and it's a very, very poor situation because it reflects terribly on God, on what kind of parent he is, that he can't manage his children. That two-thirds of their, and all of them, it's not like some good guys, some bad guys. Everybody's been driven out. Imagine a parent who has to drive his kids out of his house for two-thirds of his lifetime or of their lifetime. Okay, you know, someone has to be put into, into uh, suspension or to time out for, uh, or banished for, uh, for a few hours. That's one thing. But most of our existence doesn't make any sense. The answer is, Israel is a holy land. It was chosen by God. It is essentially holy. Even though for a temporary short period of time, even Israel was first in a state of under the rule of pagan countries, pagan people. And what was the reason for that? God, for whatever reason, has a particular thrill of the conversion of darkness to light. That's the whole plan of creation. That's the thrill, that's the enjoyment, and that was the whole reason he created the world. He created it with the intention that it will be dark. So the land of Israel, even the land of Israel, which was always meant to be the headquarters of holiness, did not start off as the headquarters of holiness. Immediately, it was taken into, taken by the forces of darkness. But yet, since it was meant to be the headquarters of holiness, it was very quickly redeemed, starting with Abraham. It needed a lot of work first, a purification or refinement, which was during the time of the Egyptian exile, which not only refined the Jewish people, but refined the land of Israel and making it ready for the Jewish people to enter in and to remove the unholy forces. And to make it into a godly, a godly empire, a holy place, place of holiness, the land of Israel. But that's only the beginning. A headquarters is, is only a, a starting point. The ultimate objective 
is that the entire globe and the entire earth, all seven continents, the entire earth should be sublimated, elevated, and made into a home for Hashem. And that's what the sages say, that when Mashiach will come, the entire world will be the land of Israel. The land of Israel is going to expand into all the nations. What does it mean? It doesn't mean halachically there won't be any more special laws pertaining to the land of Israel. Of course there will be. But it means that the other countries as well will achieve a similar, not exactly equal, but a similar level of sanctity and holiness. How will that happen? The only way it will, and and not only the Jewish people will be God's people, but the entire global community will be attached to God, will have a deep and incredible relationship with Hashem. How will that happen? That will take the Jewish people being scattered across the entire world, teaching, educating, elevating, purifying, rectifying, unifying, transforming the entire world into a holy place. For that, God decreed 2,000 years of exile. Because that's not easy. And it takes meticulous work. And Jews needed to go from country to country and from place to place, even though externally it was because we misbehaved. But why did we misbehave? Because we needed to misbehave so we can get kicked out and we can get our job done. That's the reason we misbehaved. God orchestrated our misbehavior. Not taking away free choice, but he arranged already that we should choose what we needed to choose. We choose to be bad children so he can kick us out. And once we're outside, we will fix the world. And we did it. And then once, and that's why when a chassid once came to the Tzemach Tzedek, who was the third Chabad Rebbe, and he so badly wanted to make Aliyah, he wanted to go up to the land of Israel, and he begged the Tzemach Tzedek if he should go and give, asked him, and the Rebbe said to him, Make Israel over here. You're living in, in Russia or you're living in the Ukraine, wherever you are. Make this land the holy land. So obviously, yes, of course, in the days of the Mashiach, there is going to be Kibbutz Goliath. Kibbutz Goliath means the gathering of the exiles. We have so many prophecies and Jews will return and Jews will live in the land of Israel, literally. But that's after we've made the rest of the world semi-Israel or very close to the land of Israel. And all of the world becomes holy. Now, where did, who started that? We, the Jewish people don't have any strength to do anything unless it was first accomplished by the super souls. We are all little pieces of, 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 of divinity. And then there were the super divine forces. The super divine sources were Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, and our matriarchs, Sarah, Rivka, Rachaleah, Sarah, and Rebecca, and Rachel, and Leah. These were the super souls. And they had the enormous capacity and the ability to really, really do the real labor, the heavy lifting. And they, and so, Every single thing that we've accomplished and we can and we will accomplish is all was all already done, but they did it only in the general, and we needed to do it, we need to do it specifically. We need to do it in detail. 
but they they did it right they broke through so the work of transforming the entire world and making it holy which means going outside of the borders of israel and making even that land into a holy land it began with our forefather jacob and it's this week's torah portion pasha's vayetze is the story of the jew exiting the land of israel to make the rest of the world israel so Yaakov, as we said earlier Yaakov went for 20 years and we go for 2000 years but he did it first when he was done and he was on the way back the land that he was even though it was still miles and miles away from israel was however already israel no problem of the angels coming to meet him there because Earlier, they couldn't go out because earlier Israel was holy and the rest of the world wasn't holy. But when Yaakov was done his work for 20 years, the soil that he was standing on, which was outside of the land of Israel, had at least to a certain degree already sanctity of Eretz Yisrael. So the angels of Israel could go there because he already, he already made it into a holy land. So it wasn't a violation for the angels because they were actually on israeli territory because he had made it israel it's an awesome an awesome explanation so the malachim came and they belonged there now let's take it let's take it up a notch and go a little deeper we explained earlier this will what we just explained will also explain something else phenomenal why the first set of angels that Yaakov now what we've seen up till now is really we we mentioned two set of angels the Israeli angels and the angels of Chutzliar it's of the diaspora the outside of Israel angels okay but within the angels of Israel we if we pay attention we notice there is a subtle difference between Yaakov's first encounter with these Israeli angels and his second encounter. His first encounter was that with them was when he saw them the first time was in his dream. And then he realized that they were with him the whole time. That means already weeks before, a month before. Oh, by the way, I just want before before we before we touch this point, I want to. I was mentioning earlier that even though externally it looks like the exile is because we misbehave, but internally, on a deeper level, it's because we need to transform the world. You see it by Yaakov also. The simple reason he left was because he had to get away from his brother. He was being chased. He had a brother or murderer, it was too dangerous for him to stay there. In other words, it was all about running away, similar to his children who are gonna be kicked out. There's a negative reason. There is a, there is a, a scare, there's some, but when Yaakov runs away, what happens to him? He runs away, but it's not like he's hiding in a cave and he barely comes back 20 years later, you know. But, you know, uh, you know, uh, just barely made it. Nah, he goes over there and he and he prospers and he builds his family and he builds his wealth and he builds his entire greatness. When he's outside of the land of Israel, same as with the Jewish people. We we were 
we misbehaved, we're kicked out. But the true wealth of Israel comes spiritually and everything spiritual translates into physical as well. So all the physical blessings, which is a derivative of the spiritual wealth, we don't accomplish it when we are in a secure, safe place in the land of Israel. We've accomplished it through our interaction with the nations. That's where we receive all the blessings because God buried the biggest treasures amongst the nations, the deepest godly deposits were deposited, reservoirs of holiness and godliness. The deepest and highest sparks of holiness are scattered in the farthest corners of the earth. And when we retrieve them and we elevate them, when we bring them back into the unity, that's when we establish our own wealth and our own messianic experience. It comes from the, 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 the fixing, the rectification, and the elevation of all of humanity. And when we rise, we rise with everybody together. But all of the human race. Because it's all a, a connection of the entire world into godliness. This is important to remember. And it's interesting, from Yaakov's perspective, he might have had a, do, a, a, a double reason when he left. One was... To, to, to escape, like his mother said to him, your, your brother Asaph wants to kill you, so go run away. But there was another reason, which he also heard from his mother, which was that he needs to get married, go find a wife. So Yaakov has, you know, he's running away, but he's also going towards the future. His father Isaac, Yitzchak, when he called his son Yaakov and commanded him, go to, go, to my, go to your uncle's house, Yitzchak had no idea that Esau wants to kill Yaakov. Because even though Isaac knew that Jacob, Yaakov, stole, uh, cheated his brother, but now he knew already, he realized what happened, but he still didn't think of Esau as, as such a, as capable of killing his brother, as being a murderer. He had no idea. His mother, Rivka, knew the truth, but Yitzchak didn't. When Yitzchak called Yaakov to go and leave to the land of Mesopotamia, he told him for only one reason, go there and find a wife and get married and have children. So from Yitzchak's perspective, the entire journey of Yaakov has no negativity, no escape, no darkness, no, no trouble, no sin, only positive. So now we can apply that to our exile as well. From God's perspective and from Yitzchak's perspective, there's, the darkness is, has to do with us, with our concealments and our, on our end, yeah, there is an aspect of punishment and concealment and all that. But from a much deeper, higher place, from Yitzchak's blessings, the whole exile is only for the purpose of gain, only for the light. So that was something I wanted to add before we continue. So now going back. We said that Yaakov is now meeting the two sets of his, his angels, but he, sorry, let's set the angels of Chutzliaretz, of the diaspora aside. Let's just look at the angels of Eretz Yisrael, of the land of Israel. Yaakov has these angels two times in his life. Once when he leaves his father's house 
And until he goes to Mount Moriah, until he goes to the mountain, until he sleeps that night, I don't know how many days it was, these angels were with him. And that was the first time. And the second time when they come meet him before to, to escort him back. What's the difference, however, between these and the same angels? Actually, it says, the verse says, Vayoymer Yaakov, Yaakov says, when he saw them, Machna it says, how did he know who they were? He says, I remember them. These are the angels I saw in my dream. Wasn't that cool? <laughs> he saw them once in his dream, but then it was only a dream. Now he says, I see them in living flesh. And he recognized them, exactly what they looked like. Those who were with him in the dream were now real. But what's the difference? The first time when he saw them, they were there to protect him. The second time when they're coming, as we said earlier, protection he didn't need. They only came as an honor escort, as an honor guard, not for not for the need of protection. What's the difference? Why? So the idea is as follows. Regarding um, the, the, the terminology that the Torah uses when Yaakov encounters the angels is the words they bumped into him he encountered they encountered in him angels now encounter the word vayifku and encountering in the in the in the meaning of the word vayifku represents an unintentional encounter it's like um unexpectedly you bump into someone on the street means it was like a casual unintended meeting now where do we find similar to the very same word all the way in the beginning of the parsha when yaakov is leaving his father's home on his way to haran it also says the words he encountered the place that's referring to the, the night that he spent sleeping on the Temple Mount on Moria, Mount Moria, it says he encountered the place, which also means a casual, unexpected encounter. Now, what does it mean bumping into a place? You don't bump into a place. You're going somewhere. You fall out of a plane, then you bump into a place, God forbid. But what does it mean you're bumping into a place? So the sages say that actually he bumped into the place. Why? Because he really was not in the in Jerusalem. Yaakov, Rashi gives a whole a whole long, it's not too much to discuss now, but Yaakov had left Beersheva and he passed over Jerusalem. He had no, no idea where he was passing. He didn't realize he was maybe spaced out or he maybe didn't even know the specialty of the place. He was maybe, because maybe he's scared of his brother, he was nervous, whatever it was. He had no idea. He wasn't conscious of where he passed. And he went much further. When he got, he actually was by Mesopotamia already. He turned around and realized, oh, yeah, I should have prayed that I'm going to do something, get married, and I'm going to be in a hostile place. I got to secure myself. How can I have passed on the place where my parents prayed and I didn't pray? So he turned around and he made a U-turn and he started going back towards the land of Israel. And he entered the land of Israel, but he was much further north. He came to a place called Luz. Luz 
Betkel, which was initially was called Luz, as the verse says, which is, I don't know how far, but a couple of miles away from Jerusalem, further north. And what happened was the mountain, the Jerusalem mountaintop, Temple Mount, leaped forward and came to greet him. So he bumped into a place. Knows he sees the mountain far away, and he's will take him, and he's he's on his way there. It would take him maybe a couple of days to get there, and now suddenly the mountain is there. He's on, he's, he's it bumped into him. The land jumped towards him. It uses the same word as vayivka. Vayivka here and vayivka there. Both of them represent an unintentional encounter. Over here. Angels seem to like somehow meet him, and over there he meets a place. Okay. Is there a connection between the two encounters? Now the sages explain the word vayifka bamakom also teaches us something else. It means he bumped in. But Vayivka, the sages say, also means he prayed. Vayivka Bamakom then would mean he prayed on the in the place. That means on the Temple Mount, Yaakov prayed. Well, on the Temple Mount is a place of prayer, the place of divine worship. Yaakov prayed. Well, Yaakov wasn't the first person who prayed there. His grandfather Abraham prayed there. And um Yitzchak prayed there. His father Isaac prayed there. And now Yaakov is the first one, the third one to pray there. Sages say Avram, our forefather Abraham, when he prayed, he instituted the morning prayer, Shachris prayer. Isaac, when he prayed, he instituted the Mincha prayer, the afternoon prayer. And Yaakov, Yaakov, when he prayed, he prayed the evening prayer called Tfilas Arvis or Tfilas Mairiv. It's the one we do at night. Isaac does the afternoon prayer and Avram does the morning prayer. Now, by the other two, by Avram, it refers to his prayer as standing. The Avram Oimed and Avram is standing. Oidenu Oimed was still standing and it means in prayer. By Yitzchak, it says he went to converse. Yitzchak went out to, to, to converse, which means to speak. Basada in the field is referring to the Temple Mount. He went to pray over there. By Yaakov, it uses the word Vayifka. Why is, which, which as we said before, means he prayed, but also means he encountered. What is the significance of Yaakov's prayer being called the encountered? So the sages say an interesting, so we learn out as follows. The first two prayers, Avram's prayer and Yitzchak's prayer are obligatory prayers. A Jew is obligated to pray twice a day, morning and afternoon. Shachris and Mincha is incumbent upon every single Jew to pray. Mairiv or Arvis, evening prayer, is not a is not a obligation, but rather it is a voluntary prayer. It's Rishus, the sages say. 
you could pray if you want to, but you don't have to pray. So this is important to note. This that the sages tell us about myriv prayer, the evening prayer, that it is a voluntary prayer, is the, that's the way it once was originally in the days of the sages. But then at a later time, it was the Jewish people accepted it already as an obligation. And for the last probably 16 or 1500 years, it is established that a Jew prays three times a day and there's no exemption not to pray the evening prayer. But initially, when Yaakov made it, it was not instituted as a as an obligation, but only as a, a voluntary prayer. You could add an extra prayer a day, and that's to pray it in the evening. What does it have to do with the words vayifka, you encounter unintentionally? The two are related. Unin the unintentional encounter which also means prayer um, is related to the fact that this prayer is considered voluntary. Now, it seems a little bit that I am discussing something unrelated to everything we're talking about, angels and stuff, but you'll soon see this all comes together. Okay, we're going to get to that. Follow, if we can just follow along a little bit over here. So the idea is as follows. On a deep level, when we say that Myriv, the evening service, is a voluntary prayer it's not it's not an it's not an obligation it would seem to imply it's of less significance a prayer that you have to pray is a higher is a higher prayer it's a must it's a very important prayer a prayer that is not so important so if you want you do it if you don't want you don't do it it's like extra icing on the cake so it's not as important to you it's not as significant it's not as great but actually the sages, the Hasidic masters explain, based on the Zohar, it's the opposite. The reason it's a voluntary prayer is because it is so lofty, it is so high, it is so deep, it's beyond obligation. We can't obligate it because it's a very, very high level. So it's called voluntary. So what does that mean? Prayer is a means of connecting to God. Prayer is not just asking for your needs. The real essence of prayer is bonding. When we pray, we bond, we uncover our deeper self. Prayer is a form, means it should be. If we do it the right way, it's a form of meditation. We meditate deeply, we connect deeply, we go deeper into ourselves to discover our deeper soul. And from that place, we bond with God. Now, in the divine, there are various levels of the divine. Meaning when God reveals himself to us, he reveals himself to us through th on various levels. There are levels of the divine that are closer to human perception and human that humans have more access to and there are levels of the divine that are so lofty and so far and so high that we don't have access to so 
to those levels of the divine that we can access, that every person can access and reach, we are obligated to connect to it. Because you could do it, so you should do it. If you're capable, you should do it. There are levels of the divine that you're not capable of connecting to. It is so lofty, it is so high, you can't reach for it because you're never going to reach it. It's beyond you. You can't latch yourself on to such a high level. It's infinite, it's beyond, and with our finite vessels and finite containers, we can't reach, we can't connect. And that's the significance of the evening prayer. In the morning and afternoon prayer, we connect to levels of the divine that are closer to our reality. And because they're closer to our reality, we could connect, and therefore we need to connect, we must connect. We're obligated to connect. The evening prayer, we're touching the level of the divine that's called darkness. That's why it's evening, it's dark. It's dark because it's a mystery. It's so high, it's so beyond, it's so inconceivable, it's so unknowable. It's transcendental, it's trans. It's beyond, beyond. So why is it voluntary? Voluntary means if we just stand there and hope to be gifted with this gift of connection, God will extend himself to us from, that, from this very high level. So we can't command it because we can't do it. Commandment means you're obligated to do something. You can't do it. You can be silent and hope for it to happen. It can chance upon you. It can happen upon you. And that's the idea of the evening service being rishus. It's so high. It's so lofty that just, just, just wait for it to happen. It's a gift rather than a, than a, than a, than a, than a, than a button we can push, than a, than a, than a, than a place that we can, within, with, from within ourselves, touch and connect. That's the concept, that, and that's the, now we'll understand why only the evening prayer is called encountering accidentally. Or we said the mountain came to greet him. That means usually when you're walking somewhere, you're going. When the mountain comes to greet you, greet you means that God is getting involved. It's something bigger than you that's happening to you. You're not doing it. So Yaakov's prayer, which is the Meir of prayer, is called Vayivka. It's because this enormous mountain of, div of divinity is coming, boom, to him. He's not going to it. It's coming to him. And he couldn't even do anything to make it happen. He, did, Yaakov didn't make the mountain come to him. He was walking. He, did, he, was, he was making himself available for the mountain to come, but he didn't cause the mountain to come. The mountain came because God made them move the mountain. We can, in the evening, make ourselves available for this. We can sit there and say, God, I'm here. I'm ready. You want to send me? You, you, you want to connect? I'm here. And as we can't dial, we have to sit and wait for the phone call to come from him. He's got to call us. We can't call him. But when you're going to pray, it means you're sitting down and waiting for his phone call. He will call you when you're, if he sees you're waiting, he'll call you. That's the idea, because the call is coming from a higher place. You don't have the number. Like the mountain, you can't, you can't walk there. It has to come to you. That's the idea of the, of the, of the mire of prayer, why it's so high. Now, here itself is going to be the difference. Now, the same word, vayifka, is mentioned 
again by the prayer. And at the end of the parsha, when the angels came to meet him. So we're going to draw a, a connection between the angels meeting Jacob and the concept of Myriv prayer, which is Rishus. Okay, we're going to make a parallel between the two. Now, and, and the way it works is as follows. This level, transcendental level of divine light that we cannot access, that we can't uh, on our own reach for, but it has to come to us, exists on two levels. One before we do our work, and one as a gift after we've completed our work. What does that mean? God gets involved and initiates. We're talking about God initiating versus us initiating. The morning prayer and the afternoon prayer, we initiate. We scramble up the mountain. We're running up the mountaintop to speak to God. We're knocking on God's on God's office. We're knocking on his door. As we said before, we're dialing the number. We're waiting for him to pick up. That's Shachris and Mincha. That's our work. Myriv, as we said before, Rishus, it's voluntary, meaning it can't be an obligation because you can't reach it. It has to happen. That means God initiates. But there are two, two um, distinct um, motivations that would motivate God to initiate in his relationship with us. He will only motivate, he will only initiate when we can't do it. But there are two times when we can't do, when we can't do. The first time we can't do, when we're, when we're not able, we're not capable, is before we start. We can't really achieve anything unless God gives us the divine blessing before. So everything has to start with God's initiation. Always it is that way. God always has to jumpstart. Once he jumpstarts you and empowers us, we can do it. So with the parents with children, it's that way, right? Initially, you know, child doesn't know how to how to do anything. The mother has to and the father has to do it for them. After you do it for them, then you start doing it with them. And then at a certain point, you let go and let them do it themselves. The way it works. So the reason why the evening service god has to initiate god is the one who does it for us because in torah the evening is the beginning of the day when does the day start when does the calendar day start so the torah the halachic calendar the day starts in the evening but he ereva yiboker. It was evening and it was day. So, which is really the first prayer of the day? The first prayer of the day is the evening service. Since it's the first prayer, we can't we can't get going. God has to initiate the spark. It's for that reason that we wait for God to call us. The evening prayer then is an empowerment from above. Now, once we get, once God makes the connection to us, 
at the evening service. Again, it's coming from a very high place, a place that we can't reach, but yet it's coming from God to empower us. And then we have the power the next morning to initiate on our own. In the morning and then in the afternoon. Being that tomorrow is going to be a much higher day, every day we're going higher and higher and higher. For, for tomorrow's service, today's service is inadequate. We have to start all over again. So God has to initiate. He has to jumpstart again. So every evening, according, according to this, the evening service is really the first service. It's the beginning of the day. And that is hinted to in King David's, in, in Psalms, in Tehillim. David HaMelech says, and I think in chapter 55, Perik is the same chapter of Pada B'Shalom that we're going to sing soon for Yutas Kislev. So over there it says, Erev v'voiker v'tzaharayim asicha v'emeh. Evening, morning, and in the afternoon, I talk and I moan. That's prayer. King David says, I pray. When? Evening first. Then morning. And then, according to that, what's the first prayer? If I, if I was to ask you, what are the orders of the prayer? We would say, Mairev is your first prayer. Shachris, Mairev is the evening service. Shachris is your second prayer. And Mincha is your third prayer. That's the order. However, we also know that if, if that would be the case, then why is Jacob the one? Yaakov is the third one. He's the, why is he the one initiating the first prayer? It should have been Avram, because Avram is the first of our fathers. So there's another order of the three prayers of the day. And that is the way most people say it. If you come to a, 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 a practicing Jew, an observant Jew, and you ask him, tell me the three prayers of the day, Almost every single person will say, Shachris Mincha Mairev. Hardly anybody will say, Mairev Shachris Mincha. And if you get someone who says that, you know he's, a, you know, he's an Eberchacha. He's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a little too smart. Uh, an average person on the street will all say, morning, afternoon, and evening. Because even though the beginning of the day is the evening, but that's not the way our psyche works. And our psyche, the day starts in the morning. Then is the afternoon, and the evening is the last prayer. So spiritually, it's also that way. That means that in the evening prayer, there are two things. The evening prayer is the first of all prayers. It's also the last of all prayers. What's the content of this prayer if it's the last? We explained it's the first. We understand. And why we can't do it on our own, God has to do it for us. So that's why it's, 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 a, it's a phone call from God, not, not our call to him. We just have to make sure to pick up the phone when he rings for the evening. Because but, but the reason he has to call us, because we can't do it. That's the morning. That's the, that's the first system where the evening service is first. But there is another system in where the evening service is last. Then why is God calling? The answer is after we complete, we need God to jumpstart. Then we do our work. But since we are we and we are limited, and even if we connect to God from our limited place, we can reach and reach and reach, but there's still a limitation to our efforts. And when we complete our work, God crowns our efforts with an infinite blessing. He invigorates, imbues infinite 
power into whatever we've done. So first he lets us do the work because he enjoys our work. But then he puts the final touch. And that's called the arousal from above that comes after our work. But and but here's the thing. It's from levels that we can't reach, and he wants us to have that as well. So he gives it to us as a gift after everything is finished. It's like the kiss that God gives us at the very conclusion. He says, I'm so proud of you. I want to give you, like, give you everything. You've reached till here, now I'm giving you, I'm giving you above and beyond. That, that transmission or that blessing or that communication from above is much deeper than the initiate than, than even the initiating light. The initiating light of, 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 of empowerment is from a high place, but it's not the deepest element of the higher place. Because it's again, it's only an initiation, it's to jumpstart us. Its purpose is to get us going. So God gives us only as much as is necessary to jumpstart. But to real the real gift where He give where He's giving us is everything is the blessing that comes after we are finished doing whatever we can do. There is Hashem's input. It's, as we said earlier, the icing on the cake that God can put. And that's extra. And that's much higher. And that's the other meaning of the evening prayer. So you can look at the evening prayer as the beginning of tomorrow, or the end of today. And both are true about the evening prayer. They're both there in this, in this gift of called voluntary prayer. It's voluntary as we spoke earlier because we can't do it. But why can't we do it? Either because we're just starting for tomorrow or because it's the crowning of everything we've done today and God is giving his awesome infinite blessing after we're done. He's giving us a good night kiss. That's really what it is. And that is so infinite and so beyond. Based on this, we'll also understand the difference between the two sets of angels that came to, to Yaakov. The first set of angels that he had, the Israeli angels that he met when he was in Israel, they came to protect him. In other words, they came to empower him. He's going to a dangerous territory. He was going to a place that both physically and spiritually was very threatening and very risky. So he needed the angels above, which is in a form of God's emissaries, to protect them and watch him, similar to the evening prayer as an introduction to tomorrow. God's blessing and empowerment that we should be able to work, do our work. So we need protection, we need help. But the angels that Yaakov is encountering after he finished doing everything, though that's compared to the person that's because Yaakov finished everything. He finished the work of exile. He finished 20 years of all the work. In terms of him as the father of the Jewish people, the work was done. Now, all we can wait is for God to deliver the final light. The light that was like that from a place way beyond whatever he did to give him the ultimate gift. He's already perfect. There's nothing missing. It is the point. We, we, we can do whatever we need to do and we can do it to perfection. But there is perfect and there was the perfection of perfection that comes after. 
That's not called protection anymore. You don't need protection. That's why these angels that are coming now, they're no, not protect. They're just an honor. They're representing the ultimate honor and respect that God is giving us after we finished everything, after we've done. So this is equivalent to the myriv that comes after the day. And these were the and it uses the same word vayifku because it's the same myriv, myriv before the evening prayer from before or the evening prayer that comes after. And just like it was with Jacob when he completed his 20 years of exile, that he merited such an incredible divine presence beyond, beyond, beyond from the deepest, highest place. God enveloped him and represented by these by these angels of a, a uh, we spoke, a, 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 um, an honor guard that came representing this incredible um, delegation coming from God, delivering God's highest blessings to Yaakov after he finished everything when we complete our work in exile even seconds before the gulas even before the point that we were not yet in Israel that's where we're standing right now this is why it's such crazy stuff because we're not yet in Israel the exile is not yet completely over we're not yet with the third temple but we're standing exactly where Yaakov stood So not only throughout the entire exile did we have our protection. Those were the angels of outside of Israel. God was always protecting us. That's why we survived. But we get, particularly now, the Jewish people have such an enveloped light from such an incredible high place. That is so awesome. It's infinitely beyond all of our achievements that we've done take the accumulation of everything that we've done all the goodness and all the mitzvahs that we've done right now in our current time i don't know exactly when it started the rebbe spoke about this already in 1983 the rebbe said this is where we're standing but actually then the rebbe said we still have a few buttons to polish but then in 1992 the rebbe said we finished already the buttons so we can imagine that literally now we're in the place that we are marinating in this holiness and this godly blessing and for sure now so when we're watching the world go a little abuzz and a couple of people not being too comfortable with us and some people making comments disparaging comments and saying all kinds of things about the jewish people and all kinds of negative things does it have to disturb us does it have to ruin our equilibrium does it have to throw us off Jews are secure, we are safe, we are sound, we are protected, we are elevated. We are in such a magnificent place right now. We don't know why it's taking so long, why the, the minutes are ticking and we thought the temple will be here. Okay, it's happening. Whatever is the drama that's unfolding now and the entire turmoil in the world and China and, and this and, and everything is going berserk. It's all the great redemption unfolding. How, what, where, and when, I don't know. I, 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 I can't figure it out. I don't think, uh, what exactly is, I don't know. But I do know what, what, what's really going on. And to us, we have to stay focused. Stay focused on doing good deeds, preparing ourselves for Mashiach, studying a lot of Torah, getting excited. Don't run. The verse says, in Isaiah, it says, there's a pasuk in Isaiah 50.
already the land of Israel. Can't say the world, the, the, the American can't tolerate Jews. The whole world is Israel. Israel is a Jewish is a, is a Jewish country. The whole, the whole world is a Jewish world. Jews belong everywhere. Oh, we're going to go to Israel because we want to go to Israel. Not because we have to go. Not because someone, someone has a stomachache. Actually, completely powerless. Israel is safe and should never be threatened. And no one should be scared. And everybody should recognize that God is with each and every one, every single Jew. And with all those amazing Gentiles and good people that are standing up for Israel and for the Jewish people and have respect and honor because they too are blessed with the enormous blessings of Hashem. I do want to say, so here's the verse. We're talking about the return of the Jewish people. It says, You will not go out in a haste. Won't be like out of Egypt where you're running. And, and in an escape, you're not escaping. So all people who think that we have to run and go and make Aliyah now because or whatever, that's not, if you want to make Aliyah because you're excited to go live in the land of Israel, wonderful. But to run and escape because you're feeling that there's some anti-Semitism and so on and this, why? God is walking in front of us. And behind you, Elikei Yisrael is the God of Israel. What more security do we need? God is in front and he has us in the back. He has our backs and he has our front. And if this is the case, we have the angels protecting from all sides and on our God, not only and our light is so blinding, is so why are we in the news the whole time? Is because we have such a blinding light now. All our mitzvahs that we've done are shooting forth. It's not yet visible in the consciousness of the, of the world, but really, it's really there. The light is so so. It's irritating some people. So what is? Those that are allergic to light and to godliness are getting upset. We can't deal with everybody's rash. I hope they can. Take whatever, whatever um, you know. Medications. There are some pretty good allergic medications out there. There's, I uh, forgot what. What do we take? Uh, I don't know. There's some pretty good things. So if anybody has an allergy to to Israel and to God's light that's coming to the world, make sure to take what you need to take. But for us and for the rest of humanity that are good and holy and godly and wonderful and anticipating. The great redemption. Be joyful. Let's be happy. And let's prepare ourselves only with calmness and happiness and tranquility and truth. We'll merit any moment to see the great redemption and the great light forever and ever. May it be now.